Welcome to Autoimmune Revolution Radio. I'm your host, Justin Janoska, clinician and founder of the Autoimmune Revolution. After watching my mom suffer with autoimmune disease, I have made it my mission and purpose to help people like you. Unlock the door to better results, regain control of your body, and feel like yourself again. I want you to become an autoimmune alchemist and get your life back. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. May you be filled today with joy, abundance, and loving kindness. Peace and love. An unhealed person can find offense in pretty much anything someone else does. A healed person understands that the actions of others has absolutely nothing to do with them. That is, I believe, a quote from Bruce Lee, and I love it because it really speaks to me with regard to what I talk about a lot these days, which is the notion that it's not about you. When people do things, react a certain way, or behave inappropriately, I can see parts of them that are coming out in that it's not about the present moment necessarily, but because a part of them is triggered because what is happening in the moment is reflecting something they experienced in the past, maybe with a parent or something in their life where they had a bad traumatic experience, for example. Now, I say this because it's very easy, at least it was for me, to blame yourself, to feel guilty as if you're the one messing up and it's your fault. There is some sense of self-responsibility and ownership that may have to happen if we made a mistake, but it doesn't change the fact that just because we did make a mistake, people can still react and come from a place of their own pain, okay? So remember this because, and this is why we have to heal ourselves and do the work because when we do that we are able to control we have emotional intelligence we have resiliency and we can handle challenges and circumstances much more smoothly and that's how we stay healthy if we are reacting all the time to everything that's how we get sick and that's actually how we develop food issues so that brings us right into today's episode so i want to welcome you to autoimmune revolution radio I'm your host, Justin Janoska. Thank you so much for being here today. And this is going to be a real helpful and informative episode, I think, because it's going to address some of the bigger questions that a lot of people ask, which is, how do I resolve my food sensitivities? This does not have to apply strictly to people with autoimmune disease, but usually it does because that's the audience I cater to. But if you're somebody who... Uh, doesn't have an autoimmune disease or you don't believe you do, this will still be valuable, at least as far as the food testing discussion goes. You have to keep in mind that we can react to foods for various reasons. It's not all because of an aberrant immune response. Okay, so just to be really upfront here, this is mostly speaking towards people with autoimmune disease, but I hope you'll listen all the way through because you probably will still find a lot of value out of it. There's been a lot of debate around food sensitivity testing, and I want to start with that first because it's one of the things that circulates in the uh, functional medicine space a lot still. And I've been in the space for a good seven, eight years, I think, at this point, ever since I started graduate school. And nothing really has changed. It's still a lot of, a lot of uh, talk about testing and how to do it and, and basing our diet recommendations around these sort of tests. 
and there's still a lot of debate around it. There's no real consensus. And I want to point out some of the research around this because a lot of people, maybe like yourself, don't know this. And your experience has been working with a doctor or practitioner who immediately wants to run a food sensitivity test. uh, And then you get the results and then your whole diet is based around that. And my mom did that with her Hashimoto's early on. And I didn't know much about it. And I thought, okay, yeah, this is stuff you're reacting to. We have to remove it. And come to find out that these tests were not really what they were made out to be. And and the validity of it was very suspect. So let's take a step back here and talk about some of the testing methodologies. There's actually quite a few. Uh, Not to get so wrapped up in the terminology, but there's a type of testing that's called cytotoxic testing. And this includes some of the labs you may have done, uh, tests you may have done, like MRT, which is mediator, mediator, (laughs) excuse me, release testing. Uh, There's ALCAT, which is really popular. My mom did that. That's antigen uh, leukocyte antibody test. And then there's uh, the lymphocyte response assay or LRA. Some of those may or may not sound familiar to you. And, and really, they're popular because the labs that are running them are promoting them and they're probably cheaper. Uh, but that's a lot of what we see online and what doctors are ordering. And what they're doing is in these types of labs, is just so you know, they're measuring the cell ch- size changes when the cells, the immune cells are exposed to food pr- proteins. And the issue is that the evidence doesn't support this because there's too much variation in the results when you do it this way. And there's poor reproducibility. So you don't, so if you test today, you might get a set of results that are different from you testing again tomorrow. And that's a problem, right? You want to be consistent. You want to have consistent findings when you run this test. So if you get a completely different set of results, then that's not a good thing. And it, questions the accuracy of these tests you, you can also get a lot of false positives so you, this is what happens i think and when i've done the, the very few times i've done a test like this for clients we can see how people will have um, a lot of positives positive findings or reactions to foods but could they actually have no reaction and it's just coming out that way on the test yeah maybe so it's not really a true positive, and, and that's sort of the problem because now you're overly restricting foods and taking away foods out of your diet that you didn't need to do in the first place. And that's my biggest gripe with these tests is that if the evidence isn't there, then we're restricting foods, and now you're on a limited diet, and there are consequences for that. There are, there are real significant issues with over-restricting. And just to dive into that briefly before we move on, the problem with this is that when you overly restrict, and this is my issue with autoimmune paleo diet and these other restrictive diets because they, they strip you down to a very few basic types of food groups, animal proteins, plants, you know, not much fruit, not much else, okay? And your microbiome suffers from that because you don't get the, unless you're really on top of your vegetable game, it's very which a lot of people aren't, it's very difficult to get the prebiotics and the fiber you need to support the microflora so they can flourish and help regulate the Treg cells and the other immune cells in the gut um, and obviously pre- pre- preventing a leaky gut or intestinal permeability. 
the other thing is that you almost always will have micronutrient deficiencies and that's because you can't get all the vitamins and minerals you need out of just animal protein. You can actually, you can get a lot, but there are things that you're probably losing out on when you don't include, um, again, this is just with AIP, it could be any other diet, but there's a risk of, of being deficient or insufficient, having insufficient levels of micronutrients. Okay, but really the, the real impact is on the microflora and the gut microbiome because if they're not imbalanced and you don't have enough of the good guys, you don't modulate the immune system in the best way and that's how you and that's why you can't control the immune response and that affects your symptoms and your of course tolerance to foods. All right, so this is why for me with clients I will I I never really did this at all and I went against what a lot of my colleagues and practitioners practitioners were doing which is putting them down a restrictive diet first and then expanding the diet over time. For me it's the opposite. I will start big and take away maybe gluten and dairy because that's usually the big, two big offenders. And from there, we can take away a couple other foods maybe if it makes sense and it's actually relevant. Otherwise, I don't bother. And this is actually how a lot of my clients do well because they're not feeling anxious and stressed out. They're not having um, problems with their social lives and they can enjoy life and that's what it's about. And they still get results. So it tells you something that it's not all about diet for one thing. And secondly, people can get by and eat and have a wide variety of uh, food in their diet and still do fine because maybe they're not really reacting. And maybe because over time they are building immune tolerance to these foods through the other things we're doing. So even if they are eating a quote unquote provocative food, they're actually able to tolerate it eventually. Does that make sense? So that's my whole philosophy around diet. And this is, again, why I don't spend a lot of time on diet because it's not to say it doesn't matter. It does, but it doesn't need to be the super overly restrictive issue because if it does turn out that way, we run into problems. Okay, so back to the testing now that I got that off my chest. <laughs> so the you might say the... Uh, the, the supreme form of testing out there nowadays, at least the one that is being promoted in the alternative medicine space is ELISA, E-L-I-S-A. That's enzyme-linked uh, immunosorbent assay test. It's a mouthful, so we call it ELISA. That's been considered the quote-unquote best, right, of all the methods out there. Now, when you compare that to the cytotoxic testing, yes, it is probably more preferred because they're using an uh, IgG antibody reaction. They're measuring the IgG antibody reaction, excuse me. And there's some data to suggest that is effective. There are a couple studies I'll point out for you here that show this. Uh, in one study of 108 people with IBS, they measured food reactions using IgG4, which is a subclass of IgG antibodies, it uh, doesn't really matter for the sake of this discussion, but there are different subclasses, IgG1, 2, 3, 4. And the 4 is the one that usually is involved in food uh, exposure. So they measured this antibody against these foods in a group of people with IBS. They showed that the group of patients uh, had elevated IgG4 levels to certain foods, like beef, pork, milk, eggs, wheat, lamb, 
And after eliminating these foods, the patients, the patients experienced significant improvements after 12 weeks. There was a reduction in pain, severity, uh, pain frequency, bloating, and improvements in uh, bowel function. So that seemed promising, right? In another study, they looked at uh, 150 people with IBS also doing the ELISA test. And they the researchers put them on a diet that excluded all foods to which they had, again, raised IgG antibodies towards. And they took these people and put them on that diet or a fake diet that excluded the same number of foods, but they were not the foods that they had antibodies for. Okay. And the results show that there was a somewhere between a 10 to 26% reduction in symptoms after 12 weeks. The 26% is for the people that were actually strict and followed the diet to the T. Okay. So again, that's, those are recommendations based off of an ELISA test. And lastly, we have one study here that looked at people with inflammatory bowel disease, which is an autoimmune disease. And there were 300 subjects, 200 with Crohn's disease, 100 with ulcerative colitis. And they found that these subjects had reactions against 14 foods, milk, egg, wheat, corn, rice, tomato, codfish, soybean, and, and, and more. And they found significant elevations in antibodies against these foods. So what they did was they put them on a monoclonal antibody drug to turn down, which helps to turn down their immune response. And they found that it was effective in reducing the inflammation and promoting gut healing. So that suggests that the test was showing that they react to these foods and that by modulating the immune system, they improved food tolerance or well, they improved inflammation, which suggests that it was a, that the test was accurate in identifying these foods as pro-inflammatory. So that's the logic there, and that's the science that we have. There's not a lot. There's not a lot of data around there, uh, out there on this, but these are the the few clinical trials that we have. Despite data like this, there is still a general consensus from the scientific community that food sensitivity testing is not reliable, and there is no agreement on what test is best. As of now, it is still the elimination diet. That is the gold standard. There was a paper that I looked at recently that stated that despite isolated studies like this, suggesting that IgG elimination diets can improve symptoms in people with IBD or IBS, the evidence supporting the use of these diets for IBS management is poor and thus the American Academy of Allergy and Immunology do not support the testing of food-specific serum antibody levels. Current evidence to support diagnostic testing for food-specific IgG antibodies is weak and thus testing for these food sensitivities using these methods is not recommended. Again, it's sort of a toss-up because we could say well there's evidence that supports it and yes there is it doesn't but the issue with this is that it's got to be reproducible so we need more evidence and more studies to confirm it because if there isn't a lot of it then it's not going to hold up much and that's the argument that people in the scientific community make clinically i have not had many clients run these types of tests because of what we're seeing right here I've had people do the tests and they come to me and they follow the recommendations and eliminate these foods and they don't find much improvement. 
I've run a few tests with clients in the past. I don't do it anymore just to experiment and see. And when I have them remove the foods that they're positive for, then there's not a lot of change. And maybe there is, but who knows what else could be involved. And maybe they, they improved their sleep or they exercise or they dealt with their trauma or they got rid of an infection and that helped their tolerance, right? So, so many confounding variables. One thing that the labs that I've spoken to who, who run this test, um, the ones that I use at least, or used to use, will say that the higher the IgG for antibody, the more, uh, the greater the inflammation or the response to that food. And I'll talk about that more in a minute. But in another paper that I found titled CSACI Position Statement on the Testing of Food Specific IgG, the authors state that the organization strongly discourages the practice of food specific IgG testing for the purposes of identifying or predicting adverse reactions to food. We do not support the, the decision of licensed physicians to offer such testing given the overwhelming consensus against the validity of such tests. Okay, so that's what we have here. And what makes this confusing is that a positive test for a specific food is expected in normal adults. Like you will see an antibody test, uh, antibody response against a food. And it has more to do with the degree and elevation. But this is a sign of exposure and tolerance to food. So that's sort of the misleading thing about it is that if we're seeing this on the test, is it really a true food reaction or is it a false positive? In the absence of a clinical history that supports an IgE-mediated allergic response, positive food-specific antibodies indicate an exposure to a food rather than a clinically significant food allergy or food sensitivity. And like I was saying before, the lab that I spoke to was would say that, well, a high, that's true, but a high, extremely high IgG4 antibody response would indicate a food reaction. And, and so may, that may, may or may not be true, but the point is that we don't have a good grip on what's true and what's valid and what's reliable. So the consensus is not to really rely on these tests. And personally, I don't do them, like I said. I think an elimination diet of some sort is necessary, but it's highly variable. And it's more about trial and error. There is no such thing as a Hashimoto's diet, a Crohn's disease diet, a lupus diet, or any autoimmune disease diet. There's only the insert your name diet. Okay, there's only the there's only the Justin diet. And that's the gold standard. That's what we have right now. It takes some time to figure this stuff out, but honestly, for me, you know, and I have a background in nutrition, that's my master's degree. I don't spend a lot of energy on this because it's not the thing that's gonna move the needle the most with autoimmune disease. That may seem counterintuitive and against what you have been doing in the past or been told. But for me, the evidence speaks for itself. People can see, can see massive changes and improvements in their symptoms without spending all their energy and effort on manipulating their diet all the time because it's not really about that. There's some need for it, but it's not the thing that's going to push them over the edge and to remission. Okay? So we got to simplify it, at least from my point of view here. And it seems to work. Simplify it. Avoid the foods that you think are somewhat necessary to avoid, like gluten usually, like cow's milk, soy. You know, everything's hit or miss. There's no way of knowing fully. Uh, and so you have to experiment with it. And But for me, the more food you can keep in the diet, the better off you're going to be versus the other way around where you take everything away and then add stuff back in. Because guess what? You can do that, 
But just because you remove a food for 90 days, 120 days, and then add it back in, doesn't automatically assume you're going to be able to tolerate that food again. A lot of times people don't because guess what? Nothing changed. You didn't change the immune system by removing the food. You just made yourself feel better for a bit because you're not provoking the immune system, right? So this is why we have to manipulate the diet to make the changes we need and then check the box, move on, leave it alone, stop thinking about diet, stop trying to change it every two weeks and focus on the other things that are more important like the stress, the trauma, the nervous system, those kinds of things. And that's how I do things with clients and it works. I, I gotta be really honest with you. But you have to be open to that and be willing to leave the diet supplement stuff alone for a minute and focus on these other untouched territories because that's the real issue for people. So now the question is, how do we improve food tolerance? Okay, if, if eliminating food isn't gonna do it, Justin, then how do I improve my tolerance? There is no one real answer for this. There's probably many different factors involved because from my observation, there wasn't one thing we ever did, at least with me, with a client who was initially sensitive to a lot of foods and then and then improved their tolerance over time. My mom's a great example of this because she was very sensitive, sensitive to a lot of things and was on AIP for a period of time because she had to. Like There's a need for that in some cases because they are severely deep in the hole with their autoimmune disease. And she can tolerate a lot of foods now more than she ever could have in the past because of what we did and how we improved and uh, strengthened her immune system. And that's what it's about. It's about the immune system and how do you manipulate it so that it works in your favor. So <clears throat> there are many things. This is why it's not about one thing, but doing all the things that collectively help change it in the, in, uh, for your favor. So the microbiome is one thing like we talked about. It's a big part of it. Getting rid of pathogens, dysbiosis, those sort of things. Improving intestinal permeability. The diet, obviously, like we talked about in the prebiotics that will feed the good gut bugs. Okay, that's very critical. Sleep, removing other pathogens, parasites, uh, overgrown bugs, things like that in the gut, the viruses. And I'm going to say it, but stress. Most of this relies on stress, the nervous system, and addressing all sources of stress, including trauma. Okay, not to say that everyone has trauma, but generally there is something there that we have to look into because it's probably bleeding into your current day and current living situation. When you stop reacting to the past is when you will stop reacting to so many foods and all the environmental things that you think are bothering you. Let me say that again. When you stop reacting to the past, you will stop reacting to things in your present day. That's another way of saying when you deal with the trauma and you get out of the conditioning and coping responses that you have, your body's still under, which is a sign of trauma, then you stop reacting to so much in the current day of your life. There is some philosophy around that, but there's some truth because if you think about it, if you're constantly in stress all the time from past and or present, your immune system never gets a break. Your nervous system never gets a break. And that those stress hormones like adrenaline and cortisol especially are what promote and fuel the immune cells like macrophages. They have a big role in autoimmune disease and this is where they do a lot of the attacking. So if you don't 
have control of the stress hormones, you can't ever modulate and, and manage the immune system. That's how critical it is. So if you want to improve your tolerance of foods, you have to really think about this. For me, this is where people really slip up or have, have the most struggle because they've done all the other right things, but they haven't really mastered this yet. This is the one thing I find with clients that works the best. And it's amazing because I will see clients improve the tolerance of foods and improve their symptoms overall, including losing weight, just by manipulating the immune system through the nervous system. Okay, And that's beyond meditation and doing vagal, stir, uh, vagal stimulation and these sort of basic things, biohacking tricks. It's everything with your life. Everything that you are exposed to involved with relationships, domestic life, your kids, your school, your work, and managing emotions, your behaviors, and overdoing this, underdoing that, all these things matter. So that means you have to really think about your reactions, your emotions, and your past trauma if you want to have an improvement in your food tolerance. If you don't, don't be surprised if your food sensitivities don't improve. There's some research here that points this out and tells us how emotional stress can actually be a, play a role here. One study here called Emotional Stress Responsivity of Patients with IBS looked at exactly this. And they show that stress can influence your sensitivity to foods because stress influences your immune system. And they show that mental stress increases IBS symptoms and changes gut motility in subjects. That may not be a surprise, but that does tell us a lot. And it tells us how impactful stress is because psychological stress can easily just cause any IBS-related symptom, right? So think about a day you've had a lot of stress or a couple days. What do you see change? Maybe it's more than your gut, but that's one place where it happens. In another study, called the role of stress in the mosaic of autoimmune disease. The researchers posit that psychological stress initiates and perpetuates autoimmune disease, calling attention to rheumatoid arthritis, inflammatory bowel disease, multiple sclerosis, Graves' disease, and lupus. I talk about this all the time on social media and on this show. Stress is the underpinning of literally all autoimmune disease, especially psychological stress. And then finally, we have another study here called Psychological Stress, Intestinal Barrier Dysfunctions, and Autoimmune Disorders in Overview. And this looked at people reporting stress prior to disease onset. And they found that 70% of people with, with multiple sclerosis, for example, reported an unusual amount of stress before the onset of the disease. Stress initiates disease, and the disease itself also causes significant stress, creating a vicious cycle. Okay, so I don't need personally need evidence uh, to prove this to me because I see it all the time, but it's there, and that's great because we need evidence to support what we're seeing in clinic. But in summary, we can see that stress has a profound impact on triggering an immune response and autoimmune disease and perpetuate it and affect the immune system. And this is how sens food sensitivities start. It's an accumulation of this sort of stuff all over time where the immune system becomes dysregulated. And that affects not just your tolerance of foods, but your tolerance to this organism, this microbe, and this toxin, and these sort of things. Because you're not supposed to react to everything in the world. If you are, it's because many things came together and overloaded your bucket to create this imbalance and dysfunction in your immune system. There are many ways to improve your food tolerance, and I outlined some of those here, but honestly, 
it's not going to be a supplement that's going to fix it. It's not going to be vitamin D or a low-dose naltrexone or uh, selenium or whatever else you want to play with and try. I mean, you can do those things, but you have to think of the bigger picture and have the 30,000-foot view here and think about the bigger areas of your life that need to be managed. That's what matters. You need to clear some of the stress in your life. You need to learn how to manage it. That's really the skill. Stress is always going to come. Stressful things are inevitable. They happen to you. They happen to me. But it's how you react versus respond. That's the biggest objective here. I show clients how to do this all the time. It just takes some guidance. You need to be shown how to do this. And if you can master this, I can almost promise you that you will see significant changes in your symptoms, your weight loss, your labs, and your food tolerance. It's quite magical actually it feels like when i see clients see these changes and they're like well i don't even know what i really did i'm like yeah i know it was a lot of these very subtle things but they all worked in your favor and that's what created that positive shift in their immune system so if you feel this if you feel discouraged i hope this was helpful and it gave you some things to think about because you can improve your tolerance of foods i promise you that it just takes time and it takes some meticulous planning and and patience for sure. All right. So I am always here to support you. So if you need support with this, please reach out to me. You can find me on Instagram, of course, at Justin Janoska. You can send me an email, justin at the autoimmunerevolution.com or click the link in my show notes here and schedule a call with me. I'm happy to talk with you to see if there's a way to help you out with this because I don't want you to have to live this way of living a super restrictive diet. And because that, that sucks, it, it literally screws up your whole life. And it's very intrusive and no one, no one wants that. So you deserve better and I want that for you. So please let me know if I can help you and be of any support to you. All right, that's it. That's all I got today. But please um, let me know what you think of the show. Leave me a review if you feel so inclined to. And I will see you next time on Autoimmune Revolution Radio. Peace and love.